You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, everyone, to the PJ's Cast. I'm your host, Pierce, joined alongside of Spencer and Vinny. What is going on, boys? Oh man, I'm I'm so happy right now. Same as well. That was crazy. Yeah, birthday win for me. Oh, yes. today was your birthday. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Happy I called birthday, it, man. Happy people. birthday. Dude, I didn't even know that. Dude, I, I called so it. I didn't. I, I feel so that, bad. That's why, man. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, the hockey gods are. It was perfect. The hockey gods oh, are. I think it could have been better. Oh my god. So. If you're wondering why we're happier than usual, <laughs> Blackhawks won four to three, and what a game it was! So, um, if you somehow were not watching that, uh, even though it's late, you should have been watching that game. It was a classic. The Blackhawks finally opened the scoring to make it one nothing. Oilers come back. Leon Dreisaitl gets the goal. Then right at the end of the first period, on a five-on-three, the Black Jonathan Taves off his skate just slides it in with a few seconds left, and then. Second period, Blackhawks have all these power play opportunities that can't seem to convert. Leon Dreisaitl gets another one. And like the Blackhawks at the end of the first period, the Oilers got a power play goal from Connor McDavid with only a few seconds left. So 3-2 coming into the third period. The Blackhawks needed a huge period, and my God, that they deliver. Matthew Highmore, who a very unlikely hero, tipped the puck <laughs> and tied the game. And who do they credit the goal for, to for 4-3? Because... Um, First, I saw I've been hearing Murphy, Jonathan Taves, but then they switched it to Murphy. So Wait, hold on. I'm checking. I'm checking the NHL sta- it, uh, scores right now. It says Jonathan Taves, but they so, said it was someone. Murphy. No, it, it was deflected by their DM yeah, in front it, of that bear. Bear, bear <laughs> deflected it top. Shelf. Oh, it was yes, bear deflected it top shelf. Pretty so nice whoever, redirection. Who who yeah. took the point shot? Was that Cuckoo that was or Murphy? Murphy? Or it was Murphy. Murphy? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I don't really care who it was. The Blackhawks won. Oh, my God. I And they have a chance to eliminate the Oilers on Friday. I have to say I've not felt uh, like this for a Blackhawks game in five years because the Blackhawks have not had a chance to, to close out a series really with the lead. Like the last time they did game seven, they had to tie that series. They had to come back. They got the Oilers on the ropes. So, yeah, you can go ahead, Vinny. Sorry, I'm just – oh, my God. No, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean you're 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 completely right about five years. I mean, like uh, honestly, off the top of my head, I can think of I got that excited uh, when when Kane kept the series alive against St. Louis uh, in that overtime in, in the I think that that would have been fifteen sixteen. Yeah, and, no, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's incorrect. I or I mean, it's correct. Obviously, he did do that, but. Just off the top of my head, I mean, I just, man, that was crazy. Yeah, insane. I mean, like, all around, I mean, it's pretty good effort tonight, but I mean, like, the bounces that went both teams' ways, but I, the, towards the end, I got favored more towards the Blackhawks. I mean, you saw what happened uh, with Matthew Highmore there, and then you got Connor Murphy towards the end, who obviously Ethan Barrett eventually uh, redirected that shot in. Uh, so we got some bounces towards our way, which kind of helped. But uh, especially for the Oilers, too, a dry set on his two goals, that kind of helped for them as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was a good all-around effort as well. I mean, defensively, I thought overall we were solid. And offensively, we got Jake Kajula back. That was a big boost for our forwards lineup this game because it kind of felt like we could roll uh, four lines out again. It kind of felt like he's kind of like the glue like to the rest of our lineup almost because last game you kind of could tell like we kind of fell apart piece. 
yeah, last game you could kind of tell we fell apart a little bit without him, uh, especially some of the depth guys that didn't really show that game. So now that they have him back, he's really key presence this game. Uh, Kirby Dock I thought was really solid all around as well. Uh, he's he's throwing a few hits. He looked really comfortable with the puck on his stick. He had some really nice puck touches as well, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, you look how Calvin DeHaan was defending Connor McDavid on some of those rushes. That was pretty impressive as well. But uh, yeah, good all-around effort. So I mean, good like, win. <laughs> I just like let, let's be honest, guys. It's what the score is three-two Oilers with ten minutes left. I'm, I'm, and you're, you think about all the chances they missed, and you're like, well, we're not. <laughs> all the posts, they, they have five. Posts just yeah, game. just especially do not that see Jonathan Taves one. If that, if they didn't win that game, oh yeah. Though, there is a few of them. Did not seem like they were going to score from that point on. I, I mean, just the way the game was going. And so for that, for them to rally like that at the end, I mean, my God. Uh, it's just nuts. Taze had like two open net opportunities too. Yeah. That, that was a one in the second period, I think, as well. So Kirby Duck, you mentioned you had a great game. I just want to read off the stats. He played 23 minutes yeah. and 21 oh. seconds. Oh, I did not know game. that. I didn't and he that. had a 62.79% wow. course. It's 62.8% Corsi in that 23 minutes. I so think it was definitely the difference, amazing. a huge difference maker. I, was, I saw something. Uh, I saw something when it uh, tweet that said, when he when he was at 19 minutes, he he was like leading the team in ice time. So I'm sure he's yeah. probably finished with finished uh, leading in ice time. Yeah, he I mean. led the Fords in ice time, and he was second, of course, only to Duncan Keith. He was, Which, by the way, Duncan Keith was really good too. I thought you could tell they looked really comfortable out there today, though. I mean, and I just, man, and I, I love how Highmore just redeems himself. Like I think that's great. Sole cost of the one goal, and then for him to bounce back like that, I mean, good for him. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, and Slater Cuckoo and uh, Oli Mata—they're generating offense, a lot of offense for both teams. Uh, the Slater Cuckoo, he had the the shot that uh, Matthew Highmore tipped in, and then Oli Mata, of course, had the first goal. It's just interesting to see that even though they're allowing a lot of chances, they're still they're still somehow uh, getting chances back the other way. So that I thought that was uh, it's kind of funny in a way, I guess. And, to, yeah. And and look and <laughs> how about this? How about Corey Crawford? I said it yesterday. I, I said it yesterday. He's going to be fired up, and I mean that's I mean that was. That he looked like he looked in a large part like vintage Corey Crawford tonight, mm-hmm. and uh, big saves, and I mean, wow! Like, what else, what else can you say? I mean, I I, I think well, there's I think some incredible kind of, saves. Yeah, like I. Mean. All right. Um. Do you guys have anything else to add before the game or for the game? Because we're gonna get into some quick Twitter questions here. Because there's actually a lot. Let's get into the Twitter questions. Then. Yeah. All right. So we have seven Twitter questions. No, none of them are from Tate, surprisingly. (laughs) Um, There's seven questions. So My my mind is just like, I'm like... I know, I'm all over the place. Just spinning. Yeah. Uh, First question, honest opinion about Slater Cuckoo. Um, I love Slater Cuckoo. I think he's found his role as a bottom-pairing defenseman. I like how he drives play, creates offense. We've obviously seen that this series. If you keep him in a third defensive pairing role, I think he's perfectly suited for that role. I've yeah. seen him gain confidence, and that's what I think about him. He's just he's putting up solid performances. I mean, I, I've said this before. I mean, even this past season, like before the break, I I can't I couldn't complain about him because he's been good. Arguably their best offensive defenseman this series, I'd say. Yeah, he's been he's been really key, not just, not just offensively as well, but defensively, and yeah, he's like, been really effective too. Um, but he's been really good in an offensive role, and I think uh, I, it, that's just been really key for them this series, especially now that they're generate that are getting offense from uh, not just their stars, they're getting dark, uh, offense from some of their depth guys as well. So I think that's really key and what, exactly what you need in this time of the year. So. Especially against the Oilers team that uh, mostly relies on uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, you're yeah. gonna when it's depth on depth, you're gonna have to get those depth and, goal scoring. And, and that's what that's why I was getting so nervous about this game is that you know it was it was staying two two for the longest time, and you just know that if you don't convert on those power play chances that what that the Hawks were getting and some of the other chances, I mean, all it takes is McDavid to make one great play, and they got a goal. So it's like 
yeah, that was really nerve wracking. Yeah. Um, next question from Charles is Kirby Doc God? Um, so <laughs> yes, he is. Basically, he was tonight. Yeah, brought up earlier, he had an assist. He was incredible. Um, and there's a couple of tweets I want to bring up. So I tweeted this out: Jack Hughes, zero career playoff points. Capocacco, zero career playoff points. Kirby Doc, four career playoff points. And also, here's a, uh, another tweet that I found is crazy. Um, so this is from Stat Center. Um, Kirby Duck joins Dale Howardchuck, Nathan McKinnon, Jeff Friesen, and Sergey Samsonov as the only teenagers to get four plus assists within their first three uh, Stanley Cup playoff games. Uh, whenever you're in company with guys like Dale Howardchuck and Nathan McKinnon, how, I mean, you're doing something. How about how about that for some company, huh? Yeah, I mean, I got. And he's only gonna get better. And not bad. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, hang on, I gotta find the questions again because I was just kind of looking around on my timeline. Um, <laughs> not our most professional podcast, but we. Oh man, I can just tell your mind. Dude, is I mean, right if, now. If, if any <laughs> if any of you guys were watching that game, you'll know what's going on right now. So like, this I is mean, on the topic of Kirby Doc. Uh, Edward asks thoughts on Doc's ice time and what do you expect from him next season? Um, I think he was 100% deserving of it, and I think Kirby Doc's going to take a huge step next year. I think he's going to get 50 points. Uh, yeah. I think you're going to see him get uh, power play time next year. That'll help. He's going to be more confident and he's going to be more consistent. So honestly, it would not surprise me if he gets 50 points next year, with like 15 goals, three yeah. five assists, kind of thing. You can just you can just see the confidence growing and growing, game after game with that with Kirby Doc and especially now that Jeremy Colton, I mean, he trusts him. He put him out there on the on the penalty kill now, yeah. and and you're you're seeing his defensive responsibility increase and and he's been playing good defense. So it's little things like that that build up and it'll build up his confidence as a young player. And yeah, I agree with you, Pierce. Next year, the future from now on looks so bright for him. And that's why Kirby Duck was able to stay on the team this year. It's you know he didn't have the best offensive season, but the reason why he was able to stay because he's Compete. obviously physically physically mature. He competes. He's very good defensively. I see him on the back, uh, uh, skating hard on the back chip. He's good in position, good with his stick, and uses his body as well. Uh, it's just he's. I'm so excited for Kirby Dak, and he's already great right now. And this is even this isn't even the best of him right he's, now. He's 19 years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's like yeah, a few months younger than I am. It's weird. Yeah, yeah I mean, this is this is exactly what you want to see from Kirby Dak right now in terms of his development. Not not just as a fan, but this is exactly what the Hawks want. Their front office wants as well. Um, this is basically probably exactly what they envision going into the draft with Kirby Doc. Um, but now you mentioned more confident Kirby Doc. Obviously, we've seen that for the last month, last few weeks or so now. Um, but with Jamie Collinson giving them all that power play time as well, especially putting him on that first unit with all the big guns out there as well, uh, and it's been really key. Uh, he's, play, he's kind of been versatile on the power play too. He's played more of that net front role kind of in that net front presence, which he's been really effective there. Uh, he can kind of deflect shots on net, just be that big body in front of the net, trying to take away the eyes of the goaltender. But uh, he's been kind of playing along the wall. I've noticed a little bit too, around the tops of the circles. He's been really effective in both positions. But you mentioned how he's getting more penalty killing time, uh, being more trusted in all situations. Uh, but down the line, this is, this is just exactly what you'd want right now. I mean, in terms of, uh, in terms of, in terms of his development. Um, but I think, yeah, I agree, Pierce. I think we're going to see upwards of 40 to 50 points next year from him. Uh, but it's really exciting to see where he's taking his game. So. Uh, I mean, uh, Patrick Kane said, I mean, he can, he can base Kirby Doc can be as good as he wants. Really? They yeah. Have yeah. Him he has all, all the, all, and, and did you, you guys, did you guys see uh, how he, Kane showed him his, his uh, trainer? Do you guys hear yeah. about that? Yeah, I, yeah, I, so, I saw and, that. And so that would explain a lot as to why he looks like he's just doubled his skill level almost. Like I mean, it's, it's faster, stronger, and I mean, it's, my God, it's so evident. And uh, congratulations, Corey Crawford. He got his 50th playoff win. It just, again, shows you how underappreciated he is, how clutch he is, and yeah, I 
Yeah. Well, what was what was his stat line tonight, Pierce? Um, in terms of like saves, I think yeah. he stopped 25 of 28. And what okay. is important most is that he made those big saves. But yeah, I mean, yeah, like I we, I can think about I I can think of them basically in my head right now, just like a handful at least of big time saves and timely saves that he made. Um. So. Next question: What does Nylander actually bring to this lineup, Alex Nylander? So yeah, I was. The thing with nice. Nylander is going back to the regular season, he had a great training camp, and you're thinking, well, maybe he takes a step this time. And regular season, he has some flashes of brilliance, and there's some games where he just completely invisible. And the same thing happened. He had a very good uh, training camp before the the qualifying round, and then game one, I th- he was all right, but then game two. Not good at all, and then game three, he was pretty much invisible out there. So it's it's very interesting. Um, I like I honestly yeah. don't know what to say because you thought maybe this could be a second life for them, for him in the playoffs. I don't know. It's just it's confusing because he's 22 years old. He's supposed to take the next step. Honestly, I don't know what the future holds for him and what he brings. Really, oh man, I I don't know either, Pierce. And I think you know, especially in game one, you see that. You see, like him working his ass off, and it's like he's actually he, back checking. He just he needs to do that. Like that's what he needs to do because he wins puck battles when he does that, and he has the puck more, and that's everything for the type of player he is. So that he just we preach consistency all the time with him, and that's 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 it with him. Like that's that's what he needs to do. I, I just think the most frustrating part with him is how he's he's gotten the opportunity to shine with skilled players. He just hasn't really taken that to his advantage at all. Uh, we saw it early on to start the season with Saad and Taves, and he wasn't really effective. Uh, but he was really effective in game one, obviously, like you mentioned, doing all uh, the hard work defensively and all that. But in game two and game three, it's just kind of invisible. I mean... Just kind of back to the consistency thing. I mean, uh, yeah, it's just kind of frustrating you, you <laughs> to watch him. You can only give a guy so much opportunity like that, right? Like, I know. Yeah. So we'll see. He's got multiple opportunities. <laughs> yeah, like, he doesn't even have to be dynamic offensively. I, I liked his game one where he was back checking. He's working hard. Yeah, winning battles. Like, honestly, if he just does that, because the playoffs, I know it's it's cliche. It's all about hockey, man. It's about yeah. like you got to play that complete game, and if he can do that in game four, I'm fine with that. Like that's what you want from your players. Yeah. And yeah, um, our good pal Bruce asked keys for game four, and obviously, if uh, Blackhawks win game four, they win the series. So, what are your guys' uh, keys? Power keys play. For... Yeah, yeah, my, yeah. Power play's right gotta there. take a step up. And, ah, and I mean, man. is it much of a key? I mean, just an unusual uh, inability to finish this game. Like, it was uh, so frustrating I, to watch. That was, that was, I couldn't. They, it I, was yeah, too I was, passive all around. On the I was power gonna, play today. Yeah, I was losing my mind. And, and yeah, the power play. They just, the power play needs to ex- execute better than that. I mean, you cannot, you cannot squander those opportunities when the other team has McDavid and Drysaitel on it, where at the snap of a finger they can take an opportunity and put it in the back of the net, you, that has to be better. And I mean, they five posts. I mean, what can you say? It's, That's just it's bad a, luck, really. It's, it's it's bad luck, but yeah, they got to You hope on a regular day those chances go in the net. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, keys for game four. You've mentioned power play. Same with penalty kill. Um, you, you just gotta stay out of the box. And when you do, you gotta put so much pressure. Like you gotta be aggressive because they were so passive on, especially on that McDavid goal. You gotta at least put pressure on them. I've noticed that. So yeah, definitely keys for game four is uh, special teams. And that was the thing coming into the series, though. The Blackhawks can play keep up with the Oilers five on five. It's just uh, the special teams. The Oilers were first in power play, second in penalty kill, and it's definitely shown this series, but also the Blackhawks yeah. could definitely work. And what I noticed, this kind of goes into our next question, um, from Booby, Bobby, <laughs> um, how would you fix the power play? And I would just like to see them get more shots through, because that's what they did in game one. They were too <laughs> passive. They were making yeah. too many passes. Like just, you just got to get the puck on net. There's never such a thing as a bad shot. Yeah, and and that's, I mean, that's what I was thinking too. Like, 
when they were they, just that part of the game where they were just get power play after power play. If it's not working, at absolute worst, you got to just get it up top, get two guys in front of the net, get it through. Because if guys aren't moving around, what else? If guys aren't moving around on that power play, what else are you going to do? So you got to get it up top, get it on net, That's and, and have a screen in front. At I, that think, I think one thing I would kind of like to see is to see Adam Boquist, what he could do on the first unit. Yeah. Such a dynamic offensive talent. Uh, but the problem is with the power play right now is everybody's kind of like out of position in terms of their roles. Too. And standing still. Like we we saw we saw Dominic Kubelik in the bumper role, which I thought was kind of messed up because he could be on that right circle, one-timing pucks and getting extra goals on a strong side from there. And that's what but, he did in game one. Yeah, exactly. And then we they Colleton bumped him out of that spot. Um, you got Kirby Doc and Doc and Taze kind of switched role. around. Patrick Kane was on his weak side as well. Um, I just I just feel like there's got to be some changes to that first unit, uh, especially with rotationers and all that. But I mean, I would like to see Adam Boquist get a shot on there, especially since Duncan Keith really hasn't been too effective on the power play. I I think if you could kind of give him a shot, because he's shown some really good flashes on the power play, I think as well. But just gotta give him that extra opportunity. I think he'd be given the chance to shine. So. All right, that's uh, that's all the Twitter questions. So, wow, um, what a win, man! I, I honestly still can't believe that. I'm still like just, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um, we're gonna have uh, tomorrow. We're gonna have Allison Lucan on from the uh, Athletic, our first Athletic writer on the show. So I'm looking forward to that. I honestly don't know how I'm gonna sleep because I'm just so full. I don't of energy know. I'm, right I don't think I'm gonna be able win. to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I just might pull and pull an pull an all nighter, but uh, yeah, that's why well, I'm I, here for me. <laughs> welcome everyone to the PJ's Cast. I'm your host Pierce, and we have our first writer from the Athletic today, Allison Lucan. What's going on, Allison? <laughs> A dubious <laughs> honor. Uh, not much going on. Just taking in all the all the hockey. It's it's great to see the game back on TV. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. So we're Blackhawks fans. As I let you know, were you up to watch that uh, game last night? I watched the first half, uh, but yeah. I was up quite early and, and just checked the score this morning. I'm keeping tabs on it for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, we've had a few other guests on, and we've been obligated to ask them what they've been doing during COVID and quarantine to stay sane, I guess. So uh, we're going to ask you the same thing. What is, is there any been activities you picked up on, any podcasts you've been listening to, any books you've been reading or movies or TV, any of that stuff? <laughs> uh, well, it is funny. I do usually during the hockey season keep a list of all the books and podcasts and TV shows I want to watch once hockey's over. Um, so I watched, uh, let's see, Schitt's Creek three times. Excellent show. That's Highly a recommend. great show. Canadian TV yeah. show as well. Great yes, show. So. Uh, the Good Place, finish that. Um, mm. Money Heist on Netflix, which is excellent. Yeah, I've uh, heard of that. Yeah. The Jeff Epstein show. Mm. Um, tons of books. <laughs> tons of stuff it was it was a it was i filled up like a couple weeks before i got bored again <laughs> see Allison, i'm a film student so you are actually clowning me on the show so far that's insane you really <laughs> went through those my god i saw the beginning of this creek i really like the uh i like the premise really a uh, really good turn of events there it's i i seriously i watched it then I made my husband watch it, and I rewatched it with him. And then we made our best friend watch it, and we we rewatched it with that person. Too, so uh, it's fantastic. You like it? You like it? Strong recommend. Strong recommend. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. So Allison, how did you get into hockey and sports in general, and how did you become a writer? How did you mix those two to become a career? <laughs> well, um, fun fact is that when I was in high school, many, many, many years ago. Um, I was actually voted, my superlative was biggest sports fan. Um, so who would have known? Um, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, which is primarily a college football town, particularly back at that time. There literally was no hockey. Um, but my dad had played in high school, so we would skate, and I knew about the game. Um, and then I started following it more after I graduated college. I lived in D.C. for a while, so I was following the Caps. And then I moved back home to Columbus 
was following the Blue Jackets, and I am one of those stereotypical people that back in the before 2010 was blogging about the team I was watching on TV and <laughs> um, and just kind of started to take a turn towards the analytics side. And then I was fortunate enough to get hired on part time by Fox Sports um, to write for them. Um, and then when they did their pivot to video, I went to uh, the team site actually for a couple years and wrote for them and traveled with them. And then when the athletic launched, gosh, what is it? Three years ago, um, I had already, I had already made the plans to leave my corporate America job and, and try writing. And then when um, the athletic launched, just took the dive. So uh, just trying to live the dream one day at a time. Yeah, so uh, you brought up analytics. Uh, we that's what we kind of want to ask you about. So Spencer, it's uh, it's all yours. Yeah, so I I kind of wanted to ask you. I don't know how much you've been able to get to analytics, seeing as there's been so much hockey on each day. It's been pretty much constant by the day. So, but uh, I'm kind of curious. Who has kind of um, impressed you, kind of with both the eye test and analytically in the series with Columbus? I um, I know there's a uh, some guys that I've kind of been watching with the eye test, uh, like Pierre-Luc Dubois, I think has been really effective, obviously, in this series. But uh, I just, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. So, Yeah, it's, it's a great question because, mm -hmm. in my opinion, these first two games have been complete opposite games. Columbus yeah. played their game in <laughs> yeah. game one. Um, I'm with you. I think Pierre-Luc Dubois' line was excellent. Um, I think that the top pairing of Seth Jones and Zakarensky was excellent. Um, that might be one of the most complete games I have seen Seth Jones play. Um, and he is quite a good player as it is. Underrated. Very underrated. <laughs> and then the, the second game, um, the shoe was completely on the other foot. Um, and we saw Toronto be Toronto and Columbus just not even be able to connect with their identity. Um, so game three is good. I'm going to wait till game three to decide who actually impresses me because I don't know who anyone is right now in this series as far as how they're playing. But I will say that um, Eunice Corposalo, the goaltender for Columbus, has actually exceeded my expectations. And he's played in both games. Yeah. So, again, small sample size. But um, the goaltenders in Columbus have been greatly protected by the defense in front of them. So statistically, analytically, they really – They've been good, but they haven't been great because they haven't had to face a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and we really saw Corposalo yeah. step up to that in these past two games. And so right now, honestly, if we look about exceeding expectations, that might be the player I pick um, between both teams, honestly. Yeah, there's a debate whether they go with Merz Lincolns and Corposalo. And uh, why do you think John Tortorella chose to go with uh, Eunice Corposalo over Ellis Merz Lincolns? <laughs> um, I, I, well, he's certainly not going to tell me, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> and, and I was, he may tell us on, that. He's so kind and talkative. <laughs> he's actually really good. Um, well, he's during, awesome. He's awesome. Yeah. And he will, he will but, uh, answer a, a smart question, um, with a smart answer, but the playoffs are a different animal for him. Um, he likes to keep. He likes to keep stuff close to the vest. I was honestly surprised they went with Corposalo because I thought Merzlikens had the better training camp, the second training camp. So that surprised me. Um, but I, if, if I had to guess, what I think it comes down to is that Columbus um, greatly values the loyalty and the steps that Corposalo has gone through with the organization. He was going back and forth to the AHL, Bobrovsky's last year still. Um, because he wasn't playing enough. So I think oh, that they, yeah. have, they have viewed him as the starter since this season started. Um, they viewed him as the starter when he came back from injury. And I think it's, it's that loyalty that kept him in the net to start this series. All right. Um, so on the topic of John Tortorella, <laughs> what are some interesting John Tortorella stories over the past couple of years while you've been on uh, the, the Columbus beat? <laughs> um, well, I think, I mean... First and foremost, I would say, and I've said this a couple times, he's actually far more of a progressive coach than people give him credit for. Really? Um, yeah. It was the first, it was the series between Columbus and Pittsburgh, 14-15, I think. And it was mm -hmm. he and Mike Sullivan who were the only coaches talking about scoring chances. I think it was 2016-17? Was it six? I, they no, all, the they played, they they played, played each other 18 I forget, man. I forget. So who knows? Um, Don't trust me, that's for sure. 
but they, they were the first coaches to actually be talking about scoring chances over just shots or shot volume. Um, he admitted to us this season that he has been reading up on pulling the goalie sooner, which is an analytically based concept. Um, he believes that he was one of the first coaches to activate his defense and make them less of a true defenseman and more of a positionless player, particularly Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the most interesting stories happened this year, actually, um, and it was against Chicago when oh, wow. uh, Eunice Corposalo <laughs> got hurt and the whistle was late and Zach Wierenski's oh, goal that. I remember that. Yeah. would have gone in in overtime. Yeah. Um, and Torts went on a, a very Tortsian rant. Um, but what I think was really interesting is that if you watched, there was no one who disagreed with him. Uh, across the league, everyone was like, he's right. Um, and he got fined and blah, blah, blah. But I think what we see in him is for all of his bluster, he's learned over the years, he's passionate about protecting his players and he's passionate about getting things right. Um, and he just doesn't suffer fools and stupid questions. So um, he's a blast. When he's gone, it's going to be really boring. I don't know. No matter who comes next, it's going to be a hard act to follow, at least in terms of covering a head coach. Yeah, I've heard that John Torella, even though he can be a bit of a hard ass on his players sometimes, that he's also very protective of them. And most players that you talk to, I've heard that they love playing for John Torella. And that's interesting because he's had a very long career. And just hearing that the fact that he's progressive that's a kind of shown how how he's grown as a coach because obviously he won the the cup with tampa bay back in 2004 he moved to the rangers and then he had that disastrous tenure with the canucks where you remember that part where he walked into the calgary dressing room but he kind of took that year off got hired by columbus and i really like what he's done with columbus and really i have to say that they really have no business in being here right now but here they are tied with columbus and i think a lot of that has to do with john tortorella and how the players buy into a system and yeah um jimmy and spencer do you guys have any questions to ask uh well spencer viani go ahead first uh i wanted to get kind of like to the young guns on columbus because they've been really effective for the blue jackets in this series i mean coming in Coming into the season, obviously, um, they're kind of low expectations for Columbus with guys like Panarin and uh, Duchesne, uh, Dzingo, all those guys leaving. Uh, left some holes up front for them offensively, but uh, now we've seen them prove uh, how good they've been in this series. I mean, Liam Foody has been really effective offensively, uh, really effective in a playmaking role, made some really good passes and uh, these first few games. Brought last speed and skill lineup as well. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, I don't know if you really consider him much of a young gunman anymore, but uh, he's been really effective in all three zones. We kind of uh, touched on that a little bit as well. Uh, but Alexander Texier, Oliver Bjorkstrand, uh, Mil Beckstrom, Emil Benstrom have been really effective as well, and Eric Robinson as well in a depth role. I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on uh, how, how much they've meant to uh, Columbus in this series. So... Yeah, I mean, game one, for sure, all those guys were, were big parts, and they were big parts of the regular season. Um, again, game two, I don't really know what the heck happened. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think I think you touched on on some key names. You know, Alexander Texier had a stress fracture in his back going back to December, and so for him to come back, um, he and Dubois, I think that they are sneaky good in two-way play. Um, Texier is someone who's going to really annoy his competition. If you watch him, he's just a pest, um, in all the right ways. And I really like that about his game. Um, Pierre-Luc Dubois, the nickname he had for a bit in Columbus was Moose, um, just because he is so big and so physical. And again, a solid, solid two-way player. Um, th these are all really good pieces, but as you mentioned, you know, for Columbus to really go over the top and you guys know this in Chicago, you do need an elite offensive talent. Um, and, and this is still offense by committee. Um, these are all really key players going forward, but, um, Columbus, that's why Columbus had Panarin. That's why they wanted him, uh, because they're going to, they still don't have that, um, in their forward core. And I think they're going to keep looking for it until they either get a free agent to come or, or get lucky in the draft. Wow, yeah. Man. So Speaking of Panarin, that uh, run they had last year, where they made it to the second round and gave Boston all they can handle and, of course, swept Tampa Bay. What was it like covering that uh, Columbus team that finally got over the hump? Because, obviously, 2017, you lose to the Pittsburgh Penguins in five games, and it's they lose to the eventual Stanley Cup champions. And then, same thing, 2018, they're down, they're up 2 nothing <laughs> against uh, Columbus, and they're 
the worst. I think one. they're a goalpost away from going yep. up three nothing against Washington, and then they—it's like a weird bounce off Lars Eller, I think, and then Washington wins four straight, goes on to win the cup, and then finally they break through against Tampa Bay, who had one of the best regular seasons in the past twenty years. And I just wonder what was it like covering that team for finally getting over that hump known as the first round for them. Yeah, I mean, not only did they get over the get through the first round for the first time, but in spectacular fashion. Um, and so it was. It was honestly really a blast, and it was truly, when you're covering a team, you, you know, you obviously don't have a rooting interest, and I, I was convinced until that final horn sounded at the end of game four, I didn't know for sure that Columbus would win the series, because Tampa was such a threat, and they kept getting stronger even as that series went on, as they kind of tried to figure stuff out, but... Um, Particularly with how game one started, Columbus being down 3 nothing, and then for them to come back and sweep, to watch the entire hockey world react to that, and then to see the Columbus fans finally get rewarded. It, it was such a long break before their next series picked up because they swept Tampa Bay. Columbus held an open practice on a Monday at like 11 when people should all be at work and over 6,000 fans showed up. And it was moments like that that were really, really cool. And I think it was a valuable reward after all of the drama that had gone down that year. And I think that, I honestly think that dealing with that drama added to some mental toughness that helped the group not give in to the idea that Tampa could just kill them and, honestly helped them get through this season when they had so much injury um, because they're like, we've, we've gone through some bad stuff. We can get through this. We can get through anything. So um, the lingering effects are really good. Um, and it, it also takes that monkey off your back and there, there's no more the can't get past the first round narrative um, for the team. And I think, I think all of that's very, very good. And it was overall, it was just a blast. Still, people still talk about it. People still do game watches and they rebroadcast the games in Columbus and we mean um, it. it's fun for sure. Yeah, I just remember watching that game one. They're down 3 nothing. I'm like, oh, here we go again. Tampa's going to go on another uh, deep run. And then the big thing was, coming into that second period, they didn't switch goalies. And the thing with yep. Sergei Bobrovsky is he's always been kind of known as he can't get it done in the playoffs. And they keep him in the net. And he, they go on, like Tampa, or Columbus, they just never look back. They force go, score four straight, and then they win four straight. And, yeah, it was just interesting to see how they came back from being 3 nothing down and, yeah. Um, do you guys have any questions or uh, Jimmy and Spencer? Oh, um, I was wondering, uh, well, I guess first off on the topic of uh, Tortorella and Panarin and all that, would you say that the, uh, the Blue Jackets shit their pants the second game this series? Uh, I, I get the reference. I, I, don't, I don't know what the heck happened. Um, the And I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's legitimately true. Like Columbus does not play well in afternoon games. Don't really? know why. Doesn't make it okay. There should not be any real relevance to that. I'm the way I evaluate hockey. I should never say something like that. But that's the closest I can come to to what happened. I, I don't know if it was overconfidence. Yeah. I don't know what. I don't know. But that was not. That wasn't that's even getting good. outplayed. Yeah. That was just not even Columbus Blue Jackets hockey at level two. So right. I don't know what that was. <laughs> I like following the Leafs myself, um, and I I didn't get to catch the game. So uh, that's actually interesting to hear because they uh, it, it went from getting killed by the trap in the first game to uh, a 2-1 ratio in shots. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, just completely uh, out of sorts there for them. But uh, that's that's interesting. Kind of surprising yeah. the Tortorella team. They seem to really always buy into that system. But I, I guess I had a couple questions. And uh, um, since you know you're into analytics and a bit progressive with that, I was wondering who do you see as uh, like on the Blue Jackets and in the league? Who do you see as very underrated when it comes to the analytics? Oh, interesting. Um, gosh, I'd have to. Some of these questions, I'm like, I'm still remembering who was on which team after all the trades at the, the deadline. <laughs> That's what everyone's watching. told us. That's same yeah. with us, too. <laughs> You're yeah. like, well, he's, oh, he's there? Oh, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Um, some players, I think, I, I would actually just point to, you know, quite a few players on um, the Carolina squad. I that's think that that's another, another mm-hmm. team that's severely underrated. Um, let's see, who else do I think? Um, I think the <laughs> goaltending in Columbus, I think that 
people talk about it, but they're talking about it the wrong way. I think that there's both goaltenders are very different. And I think understanding them a little bit more is key, um, in terms of what they're actually doing and how they're playing. Um, let's see who else is underrated. I I don't know if players are underrated in Columbus. I just think that maybe they deserve a little more respect for what they are. Oh, I think the whole, for Columbus, I'd say the, uh, honestly, the whole team is, uh, (laughs) I'm kind of there. I think Tortorella, um, he's a guy that I uh, I definitely questioned a lot. I wasn't the biggest fan of his, his style. Sure. But, uh, no, he's – especially the last – I think last year a bit, but this season more than ever, it's like you see that he has his system. You know, whether you like him or not, you know, talking to you as a reporter or whatnot, whoever that is that may not like him, you can't, you can't deny that the players love him. And if the players yeah. love him, there's a reason for that. So I think that uh, – I'd say that uh, whether or not he has analytics, I'd say that he's uh, he's pretty underrated in that aspect. For sure. I would 100% agree. And he's, yeah. you know, like we were talking about before, every player who's ever played for him, even if they don't like it in the moment, they always come around after. I mean, you know, a funny uh, story. You guys know Anthony Duclair. I mean, he was in Chicago for a bit. And yeah. when he came to Columbus as a free agent, his agent, I think still is, um, Vinny LeCavier's brother, and Vinny LeCavier had a very contentious relationship with Torts uh, as yes. a player. I remember that. However, it was Vinny oh. LeCavier who told his brother to tell Anthony Duclair that if he wanted to become the best player he could be, that he should play for John Tortorella. So, yes, you know, there are players who maybe don't like it in the moment, but they will always look. When he came to Columbus, my colleague Aaron Portsline wrote an article and literally called as many former players as he could to try and find someone who would say something bad, and no one would. They all just really that's awesome. And, and you know, the other thing too, he does even some of the stuff Mm. he pulls with the media. If you really pay attention, he's always protecting his players. Um, And players will say even now, um, even players who've left Columbus in the recent um, past, even Duclair, even Sonny Milano will say, he's not saying anything to anyone else that he hasn't already said to you. And that honesty is also something that the players greatly respect. It sounds like that's not the case in every organization at different levels. And so the honesty is, (laughs) the honesty is is something they all really appreciate for sure. Even if they don't like what they hear, they know at least they're getting honesty. I think looking like, uh, I think that uh, kind of looking back at it, I feel that after sort of the Mike Keenan experience, a lot of people were uh, kind of, uh, how do I say this? Like, uh, not too quick to fall in love with a guy who uh, gives tough love. I think right. he came right after him. That might have been tough, uh, kind of a tough transition, and people kind of group him with that. But uh, there's obviously a difference between abuse and tough love. And I feel sure. that I, you know, even somebody who played like myself, I played high school hockey. I haven't, didn't play anything great, but I know I, I look back at the age of 21 and I go, okay, well, you know, this coach was fun to play with, but we didn't do anything with this guy. And there was yeah. a coach that we hated to listen to what he said. But like you said, you you. If a coach is willing to tell you what you're doing wrong, that's when you grow as a player. And if you don't buy into that, you're not going to grow. And, uh, yeah, I'm all for the uh, Tortorella love today. I'm very happy. (laughs) That's someone who I I could not stand the guy, but I'm very – I I very much respect his uh, his style very much. It reminds me of that uh, quote about Scotty Bowman. It's like players hate him for 364 days, and on the 365th day they get the the Stanley Cup ring. (laughs) That's perfect, yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna get on the Twitter questions. I think we had just a couple. I'm unprofessional. I don't have them pulled up right now. <laughs> so, yeah. hang on. Oh man, I cannot find it. Okay, there we go. Um, so there's a couple questions. Um, this is from our good friend uh, Wally. Who do you think won the Panarin tra- trade between the Hawks and the Blue Jackets? <laughs> well i mean it's different right because you would still have sod under contract um but i think that panarin was the more impactful player for columbus um and i saw more players take things away from their time with panarin than their time with sod um that's not good or bad that's just what happened so um i think columbus won the trade for what for what that organization needed columbus won the trade yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And the other part of the question is, uh, who is the Blue Jackets sleeper player on the team? Which we kind of discussed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think you know you want to look at Texier. Um, I think Dubois is poised for a breakout. Um, and as, here's a true sleeper who's never going to be like flashy, but people don't pay enough attention to him. Is the defenseman Ryan Murray? 
Um, oh, his yeah. career's mm. been marred by injury. Um, so people, he's not front of mind for a lot of people, but he's arguably one of the best puck movers in the league. Um, so talented, such a good skater, such great vision. And, and he's, a, he's one of my favorite players to watch. And I have to ask you about uh, Vladislav Gavrikov. Like I've barely yes. even heard of him and I watched him play and I'm like, he's a really good defensive defenseman. He's a big guy. And I'm just wondering how Columbus found him and how he found his, worked his way into the lineup. Yeah, he, the, Columbus has built out a really solid scouting network across the pond, um, and they even have development coaches in Europe and a goaltending development coach in Europe. So that helps them, obviously, network and stay on top of players. He was drafted. Um, he elected to stay. He signed with the K um, for two more years when the year that Columbus thought he was going to come over, but um, arguably, though it's never been said, that was probably having a lot to do with the Olympics um, and NHL players not being able to play. Um, but he came over at the end of last year, played a little bit in the playoffs. We didn't really know a lot about him, but this season he has just blossomed. Like you said, David Savard is always a great partner for a guy who plays like Gavrikov. And what's what's really fun is he has a wicked sense of humor too. If you if you've seen him score goals, he he uh, puts his hand up like he's on the phone, um, like a call me <laughs> gesture. He won't yeah. tell us who he's calling, but it's apparently an inside joke. So he's um. <laughs> Definitely a defensive guy with an upside, and it's in, it's really impressive how quickly he adapted and excelled in the NHL game. Um, next question: What is your favorite team to watch the Blue Jackets play against? Oh, my favorite team uh, to watch the Blue Jackets play against. For, for some reason, the team that comes to my mind is the Caps. Um, yeah, they're always good games. Um, this year in particular, like they never went the way you thought they were going to go. And I think it's just, an, I like both teams. I think they're fun to watch. And um, I don't get a lot of hate on Twitter <laughs> during those games. So um, <laughs> that certainly helps. Um, so I will go with the Caps. Yeah, and they definitely, they also had that 2018 series where I think four of the games went to overtime. Yes. So, yes. yeah. Um, do you guys have anything else to add or questions? Or are we good? Uh, I can't think of anything myself, no. Um, my last question, actually, uh, this is kind of from all three of us because we all kind of like to look at analytics as well. But what is your favorite analytic to use in your work and why? Ooh, that's, a, a, little tough. that's a good that's question. That's a great question. Um, that's a great question. I think I have, I'm going to give you two because um, there's one that's easily accessible publicly, expected goals. I think that I that's that one. I yeah. think that's really important, and I think it's really important to understand shot quality um, and progress on from just volume. Um, I think that's huge. Um, and the other thing that I'm really liking looking at, but that you have to track manually right now, or shout out to Corey um, Schneider, who does the All Three Zones project, and everyone yeah. should support him on Patreon and get his data. Yeah, um, I've but, seen his work. But hit, transition play is I think where we're going to start to find the next frontier, transition play and systems analysis. And so for me, I would lump all transitions data, entries, exits, forechecking data. I think all of that is what I'm most in love with right now. It's just harder to get. Yeah. All right. So um, I don't know if I mentioned, but I actually live in Edmonton. I'm Canadian. I, I obviously had to bring that up, but uh, um, I'm just I'm just wondering uh, if Edmonton is on is is on your list of favorite cities to travel to when you're well, uh, covering the Blue Jackets. I actually have not been to Edmonton, um, oh. but I haven't been to Edmonton, and I have not been to Ottawa for a game. I've been to Ottawa for other things. Um, so I, I can't answer that question. I've heard that it's wonderful. My my co-host on the Too Many Men podcast, Sarah Sivian, loves Edmonton. Uh, yes. So she's a big fan of Edmonton. And I love Calgary. And I love all of the area north as well. I've spent a lot of time in Banff so and Canmore. Oh, man. Love so it. Um, I would have to imagine that some of that would translate. Um, but I'm a big fan of, I can't think of a Canadian city I don't enjoy. So I'd have to think I would like Edmonton as well. All right. Um, and before we let you go here, um, what has been your favorite playoff series to watch so far? Oh, my favorite playoff series to yeah. watch so far. I'm thinking, let's see, Carolina and New York was just unexciting because we all knew what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm intrigued Yeah, I never by? picked the Rangers. I never did that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm intrigued by the Islanders-Panthers. 
Um, really? That's not going necessarily the way I thought it would within little moments of the game. So I, I'm definitely catching on to that one. Um, trying to think what other ones. Um, yeah, that's probably the most compelling to me. I'm watching it all, of course, but that's the one that is maybe the most interesting to me right now. That one's really flown under the radar for the most part. I yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like the one that uh, a lot of us have just been. I uh, like. I haven't seen. I haven't watched any of the highlights yet. I'm gonna completely put that right. out. <laughs> so I'm definitely missing something. I have to check that out. And then just one more question, because he's from Alberta, he plays for the Chicago Blackhawks. He's actually was born outside of Edmonton in, I think, St. Albert. And what do you, th- have you been watching much of Kirby Duck? And so what do you think about him? <laughs> I, I Gotta mean, get I that have, one in there, you know. I, <laughs> I have been watching, you know, I'm always, um, it, it, I, I think he's got a very promising start, right? I mean, it's, um, mm-hmm. the young players are, are the, the wild cards. I, I've just seen, I have seen too many players like start strong and then wither away. So um, mm. I'm usually a two, three year person. Um, but, but yeah. yeah, I like, I like young blood. I like kids who are shaking up um, paradigms and, and making sure people know who they are, even fresh out, fresh out of the gate. Yeah. Say, so yeah, the uh, more, well, actually, I believe he has more uh, or yeah, more points in this playoffs uh, combined than any uh, 2019 draftee. So I think that's got to stand for something, right? It's impressive for sure. And I want to say he he joined like Dale Howardchuck and uh, Nathan McKinnon as teenagers to put up four like four points in their first three games, which is crazy. So uh, yeah, so yeah. thank you, Allison, for coming on. Thank you for being gracious with your time and also taking the time and answering. It was nice to get a different perspective. Obviously, we're huge Blackhawks fans, but it was nice to get a different perspective in there because there is 24 uh, teams in this bubble, or uh, 12 in each uh, city, I should say, 24 in total. But uh, yeah, thank you for coming on, Allison. Thank you for being a great guest. And uh, yeah, best of luck to you in the future. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. This was fun. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thanks. So that was Allison Lucan of The Athletic. She was a great interview. And, uh, yeah, so obviously we talked about the Blackhawks game yesterday. And we're going to talk about the uh, other series as well, other games that's been going on. So is there any particular series that have uh, kind of caught your guys' eye? Uh, you know, uh, just been, uh, watching the series, you know, just, uh, you know, just kind of adding up the analytics and uh, just uh, preparing to make a podcast. You know, uh, pretty good series out there. I know everyone's playing their best and, uh, you know, just uh, – no, um, I haven't been able to catch as much lately, but there's a game I was watching. I saw, of course, I watched the Hawks in Edmonton, but one series that is okay. Well, I think we have to talk about it. It's obviously very interesting. Uh, Canadians and Penguins. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's been for me. That's like the one that I uh, I missed the game last night. I watched the highlights of that one. But, uh, that's one I really, really want to see the rest of. I mean, I said myself. Didn't think Price did uh, play at this level, but uh, God, what is it? A few days later, and I think Jeff Petrie has two game-winning goals. Yes, he does. Has two playoff wins to one against Matt Murray. Yeah, fucking crazy. Yeah. So. so how about that? The two five seeds are on the brink of elimination, and the two twelve seeds that really had no business in being there. Um, they're they're one win away from making the actual. The Canadians playoffs. didn't want yeah. to be there. They didn't want yeah. to be there. They yeah. fucking hated it. Oh, Wild and Canucks are playing. That's yeah, they are. And the funny part is about that Carolina New York series is uh, Carolina was the one team that voted against because they didn't want to play the Rangers, and they swept them. And I saw the stat. It said season series doesn't matter because when the Carolina when Carolina played Washington last year, I think Washington swept the series and then they won in seven. And then Rangers swept the se- the season series against the Hurricanes and then they swept them in the playoffs. So. Carolina, I'm I'm cheering for them. I, they have such a likable team. I saw James Reimer in there making those amazing saves, and I'm like, God, oh, I really want to see this team win the cup. I want to see Tara Vine and get a cup. I want to see another cup. I want Sveshnikov to win. I want Aho to win, and like Slave and all those guys. They just have such a was Reimer nice playing last team. night? Sorry, yeah, he, he played. Uh, oh, yeah, man. no kidding. I fucking love James Reimer, so that's great yeah. to hear. I've I've been out of the loop. Jeez, but uh, that's awesome. I always love watching Carolina, though. Um, yeah, they're a blast to watch. Especially this year, uh, the emergence of Andrei Svechikov. I mean, he's always so much fun to watch. I mean, he just got better as the season went on. Not only offensively, but I mean that line 
You saw especially kind of Aho and Teravainen how reliable they are defensively as well. They're willing to learn. They're willing to compete defensively and not just yeah. offensively. I and mean, it showed. Uh, he's the, Brad Brindamore is able to trust him in uh, pretty much every situation out there in that series, which is pretty important. Uh, they played a lot of key minutes for them. But uh, if there's one guy I wanted to get to as well, Sammy Botnan. He's looked really comfortable in these first two first two games with Carolina. Uh, I think in one game he had like two assists, which is pretty good. He looked very poised with the puck on his stick. But if there's an, I always like watching. Um, I think it's their second line: Marty Natchez, Vincent Trocheck, and Nito Niederreiter. That's been quietly really effective for Carolina as well. Lots of good speed, lots of good, uh, yeah, lots of good speed and skill. Uh, but they're just relentless all around. As well, uh, they, use, they use that speed really, to, really well to their advantage to uh, uh, to limit time and space to their opponents. But straight up, Carolina's stars were just better than the Rangers' stars in this series, and that was pretty much the made difference maker. So, but yeah. it was I I even though Carolina is sweeping them, I I still found that series really exciting to watch. Honestly, yeah, Jordan, and then they have Jordan Stahl as their third line shutdown center, who's quiet, who has always been one of the more underrated players in the NHL, especially like Selkie or for like two way forward. And yeah, he's never really got Selkie consideration. And watching Tony Angelo get climbed by Sebastian Aho was hilarious too. That's Chicago guys. What a player. Yeah, I just, I, I, we all just expected more. Uh, the Rangers needed more from Mika Zimanejad, Artemi Panarin, obviously. Yeah, Panarin was, yeah, he the was power just, play is really quiet as well. Uh, Panarin was nothing, man. You can't, you can't. Panarin can't get it done in the playoffs. That's why we traded for Saad. Even though he's like <laughs> point for three in the playoffs in his career. Oh, I can't wait for people to fucking say that. It's going to be yeah. great. Surprised or I haven't seen enough of that or a lot of yeah. that. Even though we completely washed with the Jackets for two years in a row, as soon as he has one bad playoff series, he can't do it ever. Yeah, so another good series has been Arizona Nashville. I've really liked that I'm series. They played that one. Yeah, the game, no. the, the game three, Nashville just took it to Arizona. They outshot them like nineteen to eight or something, like something crazy like that. And of course, because hockey, I think Arizona scored on their first shot of the period when they were yeah, outshot like ten to nothing. one. That's just the most hockey thing ever. But Darcy Kemper, man, holy, he, he is Insane. so good. He's so underrated. Yeah. Like he's he's, he's working himself into that tier of elite goalies and. Taylor Hall showed up and got a, a huge goal, the insurance marker, and I predicted Arizona win, and so far it's looking so good. So, yeah, that's definitely been – I thought that was going to be the most boring series. I've actually had a lot of fun uh, watching it. And same with Minnesota-Vancouver. I thought it was going to be a boring series, but uh, game one was kind of a little boring, but I really liked uh, game Kevin two. Kevin Fiala, man. Kevin Fiala. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> almost, he almost single-handedly brought the Wild back. He scored, uh, I think, two goals. It was They were down 4-1. Then he scored two goals with the, the, the goalie pulled for Minnesota, and he almost like tied the game single-handedly himself. So, that yeah, Kevin me. Fiala. I'm missing everything. I, I actually I wrote an article on him a few days ago talking about how, like, I think he'll, he'll become a – he'll blossom as a superstar in Minnesota. Uh, he's – uh, it's it's like the perfect situation for him. I mean, he had his coach now who's to coach him in Milwaukee, who, who's allowed him to be a star down there for them offensively. And now he comes up to Minnesota. He's willing to learn, willing to compete uh, in his own end, willing to play more of a team game, uh, as Dean Everson kind of mentioned. Uh, but he's he's been really key to his ex- success, and that's kind of allowed him to play such a big offensive role for Minnesota is it been able to use his his hands, his skating, his playmaking abilities and all that to his, his advantage now. And he's not um he's not really buried like he was in Nashville. He didn't really have that opportunity to shine um like he does now in Minnesota seeing as uh, most of their stars in Nashville took up uh first line roles and which kinda bumped him down the depth chart right away. But uh, Kevin Fiala, he's, he's turning into one of my favorite players in the NHL. I feel yeah. like now he's he's so fun to watch. Oh, um, but it's I remember going back to Game One in the series, how physical it was. It was like relentless. It was like it was like nonstop every shift. It felt like guys were just out there to kill each other almost. <laughs> but well, it's been really exciting the series. Oh, you don't well. get a lot really sneaky. They kill each other on the blah 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 blah. blah. 
really, really good series, though. Was it Michael Furland so, and uh, who's it? He, yeah, him, uh, Furland Lino? and Polino, I think. Polino, that was it. Yeah, it was him or Conan. Silky winner. That was a good fight. It's a really good fight. All right. Oh yeah. So do you guys have anything else to add, or can we uh, end this? Are we good to end? Go. I love Kirby Duck. That's all I have to say. Yeah, that's a good point to take away from this. So, yeah, it's been a nice past, like, what, 12 hours or whatever it's been. <laughs> yeah, we watched the Blackhawks win. The funny part about this is we are back, this podcast opened, like, three segments. Of course, we recorded the podcast last night, and then we had Alice and Lucan on, and then we talked about the other playoff series. So, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Please wear a mask. Make sure you all are staying safe, washing hands and social distancing, all that stuff. So, for Pierce, Jimmy, and Spencer... Take it easy, everyone. We'll talk to you next time. Peace.